0: Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Business Talk Library. Now today I have an amazing guest on, and this one caught my attention because he and I had a brief conversation. And as he began to tell his story, I was just like, wow, that is amazing. Going from a recovered lawyer to, you know, healthcare and beauty industry to insurance and all of the exciting twists and turns in journey. So we're gonna dive into it. So stay tuned and I'm gonna hop into a conversation with my friend, Peter. So stay tuned. All right. Without further ado, let me bring on my guest, Peter Deasy. Welcome to the show, Peter. How are you? Good, Terrell. How are you today? I am great. I'm great. So I I will say, I have been looking forward to this conversation because, you know, as you and I briefly talked about, all the twists and turns that entrepreneurs go through. And I thought it was amazing, like how, how, you know, between you and your husband, you guys have lived that in so many different ways. So (laughs) before we jump into that... (laughs) (laughs) So I would say, let's start prior to, you know, let's go back to, you know, the attorney phase and tell okay. people a little bit about kind of your background, what led you to become an attorney, and then also, you know, deciding that, hey, that wasn't the path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So actually, when I was in college, my, my plan was to be a pediatrician. Um, and then I took organic chemistry um, and realized, no, <laughs> that that was not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I was lying to myself and didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, the dean of my residential college actually sat me down and said, hey, you know, knowing you, I think law school will be a great option for you. I think you'd really enjoy it. So um, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. So I applied. I went to law school. I loved law school. Um, it was so much fun. Smart people talking about esoteric topics. It was, it was <laughs> awesome. Um, after law school, I, came, I moved to Boston uh, and began my practice. And my practice focused on m work in the private equity context. So I represented private equity clients uh, when they were purchasing or selling portfolio companies. Uh, Sometimes I'd be brought on to them, represent those portfolio companies as kind of an outside general counsel. And I also did a little bit of work on the debt side for those deals too. So helping to arrange the financing for those transactions. Um, So I worked at two different uh, big international firms here in Boston. And after about eight years of practicing, I realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and kind of came to a up a crossroads as to
0: what i was going to do nice nice so now as you kind of navigated that you know I and mean, you talked about in the beginning of uh, pediatrician was the original idea yeah. then the idea of, you know being an attorney now were there any i guess you say how was it like emotionally like, making that switch i mean because what i often find is that a lot of people struggle with that especially entrepreneurs is just that hey this path that you thought was the path you were going to go down it has changed and it's okay to change, but I find that a lot of people kind of struggle with that. Like end up beating themselves up, like, no, I was supposed to be this and they try to make it work and then they just end up being unhappy. Like, how is that for you?
1: Yeah, no, it's funny. It, it it's definitely something you've got to kind of get over and deal with, especially like being a lawyer. Like, you know, it's such a long process. And I'm sure this, you know, true of anything where there's a kind of a postgraduate component to it. So a doctor or, you know, anything like that. You know, I went to school for seven years. I got into a top firm, you know, it was by all accounts, successful uh, externally, but I just wasn't happy. And so like at some point, you know, you have to realize, okay, this is the path I thought I was supposed to be on, but if it's not fulfilling me, it's not making me happy. If I'm a miserable human being because of it, is it really worth sacrificing my happiness to, for this, you know, external belief that I'm supposed to be doing this? uh so you know i it's funny i got over it pretty quickly uh the person that had a real hard time with it was my mother uh so my <laughs> and, and still to this day has a trouble so, so my mother is i uh, came to this country at 19 from poland and has very much an idea that successful people wear a suit and tie uh, every day to work and so when i stopped wearing a suit and tie uh, to work which i didn't really do as a lawyer but you know kind of theoretically uh that for her was really hard to deal with and it's taken you know, almost the full 11 years since I stopped practicing for her to realize it's okay, uh, you know, I'm doing well, I'm happier, this is what I was meant to do. But uh, but yeah, at at some level, you got to kind of let go of that external stuff, right? It's about you, it's about your happiness, it's about doing what's fulfilling to you, and if other people judge you for that, well, that's on them. It's not really my problem.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I I think it's interesting you say that because, you know, one of the episodes I had on um, gentlemen Like Kids, His entire business is around, you know, I guess you would almost say kind of like an agent for high school kids that play video games and really (laughs) connecting with universities that are offering scholarships for, you know, kids that play video games. And it's just like, you know, we're living in this world now to where probably, you know, when I was in high school and going through school, like it was a it was seen as a waste of time to spend time on video games. But I think it's just for most people, when they look at it, they're like, oh, that's not successful. But it's like you said, I mean, as as things have changed and even assessing yourself is very interesting to see, you know, and encouraging to see people who leave something that, hey, there was a lot of sunk costs that went into that. You can still take the skill sets with you, but pursue something different that makes you more fulfilled. So. You know, so after true. leaving, you know, the practice of law, what kind of opportunities were you kind of opening your eyes to before you settled on like, hey, here's my next step?
1: Well, it's funny because I, you know, I had kind of internally made the choice, and actually, my husband and I were having conversations about how unhappy I was and how it was affecting my life, and it was actually random. So the next step was was really random. We were on vacation, um, in Vancouver, up in uh, British Columbia, and we're walking down the street in, in, in Yale Town, the to kind of shopping district there and came upon this skincare slash spa called scoa um and they had three locations all of them in canada it was cool it was different this was back in 2009 Um, so you know most of the spas that we were familiar with were very frou-frou and kind of bubbling cherubs and, and Enya playing and this wasn't that um and neither of us were big spa guys but we still went in made appointments um a couple days later went to and had our appointments really enjoyed it and that night we were sitting down to dinner and it was my husband who said, you know, you hate being a lawyer. We've always, <laughs> literally, um, you, you, we thought about opening our own business. You know, we've never taken that step. You know, he had a good job at the time working for a big insurance company, you know, paid the bills and was the one that said, why don't we approach these folks and think about breaking this concept to the states? And, and I thought he was insane because we knew nothing about spas or retail or owning a bit. I mean, nothing. Like this was a, a big jump uh but the more i thought about it the more it kind of made sense and so this again this is back in 2009 so no linkedin not really facebook i sent an email to the store uh knowing that uh, a husband and wife had kind of founded and owned the company and said hey listen i'm a lawyer in boston went to your your shop really enjoyed it would love to chat about um opening one of these up in boston uh and they responded which was shocking the first shocking thing that happened uh, we got on a phone call where we, you know, they were like, hey, we'll give you 15 minutes to pitch, uh, got on the call, and I think it was two and a half hours long. So I'm sitting in my office at the law firm, close the door, dialing, calling Canada, and uh, two and a half hours later, we, we're, we're realizing that there's something here. Uh, so that's August, you know, 2019, no, so 2009. A couple months later, we mutually decided, let's go for it. So the summer of 2010, we opened up our SCO location here in Boston. And, you know, for the last 11 years, I've been running that. Um, and now actually serve as the chief marketing officer for U.S. ecom for the brand as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, an incredible journey, uh, definitely a different uh, path, but and, and kind of fortuitous how it all happened.
0: Gotcha. Now, what was it like, I mean, going from practicing law I and mean, some, I mean, a lot of exposure to businesses and how they run from the M&A work, but... Really learning a new role in business and a new industry, what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, no, it's funny, everyone's always like, Oh, you're a lawyer, so it must have been so great because you can negotiate all the contracts. And it's like, Well, <laughs> honestly, like I had a lease and I had a you know an agreement with these folks up in Canada, but it wasn't like you're negotiating contracts like daily. I'm not, you know, calling up my cotton pad supplier and being like, Hey, we're gonna negotiate our supply deal here. <laughs> um, but what I was able to take from being a lawyer and that was super helpful. Especially given what I was doing in the law, you know, as a as a, a corporate attorney doing private equity M and A, it was really a, a, a customer service role almost. You know, I was kind of the interface between the external client, the you know the private equity firm, and internal clients, the lawyers, the partners, the folks trying to get the deal done. And you know, when you're charging, when you're being billed out at you know close to a thousand bucks an hour, you're going to provide a very high level of service. And so coming into this kind of retail spa environment. I think we were able, I was able to really kind of instill this, uh, level of service into our crew that the customer really appreciated. And so that was a big, you know, it, it was a transferable skill and kind of focusing on that aspect of it, that I knew how to provide service allowed me to pick up on the rest of the things I needed to know. And, you know, and hiring too, like having a good team that knew skincare and could kind of make, in the gaps for my lack of knowledge there until I picked that up was also super helpful as well.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, you know, as you kind of travel that journey, like you said, now you're, you know, head of, you know, e-commerce marketing, like mm-hmm. how did you navigate into developing the marketing skills to where like, Hey, you became in charge of, you know, marketing on a bigger scale than just your store?
1: Well, yeah, it's, it, it's funny. because it also goes to kind of our new business as well that you, you mentioned with the life insurance. You know it, it was getting thrown in the deep end i had to learn how to market right i had a business um and we had to get customers in and for me being successful at marketing would be the easiest way to get folks in and we were very fortunate early on um there's kind of a different marketing landscape back then you know newspapers and magazines still had editors that you could talk to and get them in and and we did a very good job early on in the existence of SCOA here in boston to create the impression that it was the go-to place for a facial and kind of the go-to place for skincare generally. And we were able to build that on that over time. And so really just kind of getting thrown at the deep end of having to pay the bills and have people come in, I was able to develop these marketing skills. Um, And so that eventually led to what I'm doing now with with our other business, Life Insurance Strategies Group. Uh, You know, a couple of years ago, my husband decided to start a consulting business focused on the high net worth life insurance space. And initially we were really just working with individuals, producers, uh, life insurance companies on um, how to to navigate the kind of black box of life insurance, Uh, but we needed to market ourselves. Jay needed, my husband needed to market the company. And so I was able to transfer those retail marketing skills into this life insurance consulting space. And what we found were a lot of life insurance producers and salespeople really liked what we were doing, thought it was different, thought it was fresh, thought it was modern. And so we started getting approached by um, those folks um, to to do their marketing. And so for the last two and a half years, we've had this content creation and marketing division where we're really taking these modern marketing concepts, applying it to a somewhat antiquated industry to help our clients tell their story, to help them differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace. Um, And so it's been an interesting it's been an interesting switch to go from marketing myself and marketing my business to helping other folks market themselves and tell their stories and learn their voice and kind of express that uh, across various channels.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, that's, I think that's pretty interesting for me because, you know, in our firm bookkeeping and uh, for CFO services, we do work with some insurance companies. And one of the things that I find interesting is, you know, Typically, when you get into like industry like industries like insurance and finance, there are a lot of compliance restrictions in place. Do you usually run into a lot of that as you're kind of helping them think through a marketing strategy? Just the layers of compliance that they have to have around what they can and can't say.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that's one of our kind of uh, points of differentiation from other marketing firms because, you know, we're not just a marketing firm because JMA my husband has these decades of experience in the life insurance industry and has that familiarity with the industry and with compliance and all these topics. We're able to, when we're creating the marketing, when we're thinking about a strategy, when we're thinking about what we're going to do, what we're going to write about, what we're going to produce, we're thinking about that compliance aspect because we know it exists. And so we've been very fortunate that when we're going through compliance with you know, blog posts, websites, whatever it is we're creating, we haven't had a lot of pushback from the compliance folks because we've created with that already in mind. Um, but yeah, it is is—it is an issue. You definitely have to be knowledgeable about what you can and cannot do. In um, insurance, it's slightly different depending on what kind of products you're sale- selling and what kind of your business looks like. So really knowing what the customer or the client's business is who their broker-dealer is, what kind of compliance restrictions they have, and then making sure that what you produce in the first instance isn't going to come back being like, no, no way, like this is bad. Um, And that's something that we're very good at just because we have that insurance industry expertise.
0: Gotcha. Nice, nice. Now, one of the things you mentioned about was, you know, with the, you know, making it known that you guys are the go-to place for skincare and spa treatment. You know, in that journey of kind of, you know, defining your brand and your message, you know, how many different, I guess you say, angles did you guys take with, hey, we want to be known for this or we want to be known for this? Like, how was that journey of figuring that out?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting for us. Right. Because with it's with that, with Scola, it was an existing brand. So we had kind of an existing brand message that we could use. Um, which was this, this idea of personal training for your skin where it was less frou-frou, it was almost like going to the gym. It was about, you know, yes, a relaxing experience, but it was really an educational component. So we, that was different. And so we had that as a nice little hook to get folks in and kind of get them excited. But we also were cognizant of the fact that it's a Canadian brand that we're bringing to the States. And we really played up on that, and for some reason, and that really resonated with people. For some reason, they liked this idea that it was Canadian. Um, I still don't quite understand why, but it worked. And then, and, and then, and then, actually, to this to this conversation, you know, this idea of a lawyer quitting the law to start a spa—that was a compelling story, right? Like folks wanted to write about that. Folks wanted to talk about that. And so we were able to use the combination of those three things: this kind of existing brand message about what we did this Canadian to US journey and this lawyer to entrepreneur journey to make sure like, so we were able to not just get hits, media hits in the normal kind of space where you see beauty stories, but we were also getting hits in the Boston Globe and the Boston Business Journal and the the lawyer's paper. And so it was like a saturation of the media. And I think the key thing for us was, okay, if I'm gonna pitch the story to you, what is the particular one of these kind of three interesting messages that's gonna resonate the most to get you to write about it and write about it kind of in an interesting way. Um, and so we were able to figure out those three messages pretty quickly, but it was a little bit of a, not a challenge, but a journey of figuring out, okay, which one is gonna resonate with you, the editor, so that you do cover us.
0: Nice, nice. I, I can definitely see the advanced thought process strategy and the skill when it comes down to the marketing and the messaging. And, you know, and I can definitely tell that you guys probably do that very well with the insurance product. So what are the types of you know kind of ideal clients for the insurance support that you guys provide? Like who would be an ideal client?
1: Yeah. So it, 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 and on the consulting side, which is what my husband runs there, it's anybody who is entering the life insurance world, especially in the high net worth space and is just a little bit scared, not even scared or concerned or just it's overwhelming. They don't quite get it for a whole bunch of reasons, both purposeful and not. The the industry can be very opaque. And so there we're working with either the end client, so a high net worth individual, uh, or sometimes we're working with a a producer or even with a trusted uh, advisor. So a lawyer, a CPA, a wealth management firm. And since we don't take commissions, we're an hourly fee on that side of the business, um, we have no skin in the game, right? So we're going to provide you a truly um, outside independent perspective on what's happening. And, and maybe that is, you don't need insurance. And for us, that's fine because we're not relying upon that sale to, to make our money at the end of the day, sure. we can really provide you. So it's really anyone, especially high net worth individuals, um, looking at kind of more niche products, premium finance, private placement, foreign nationals looking to come to the United States and doing some pre-immigration planning. Those are those the clients on that side. For the marketing content side, it's interesting. you know most of that work for us is going to be with life insurance producers and it's folks who are open-minded it's folks who are not so caught up in kind of uh, what's worked in the past, you know, old notions of how marketing happened. You're, you're not going to go to the local rotary lunch and get clients anymore, right? Like that world <laughs> is ending, especially for It's true. I mean, especially for younger clients, we see it in our spot. And I tell the story all the time to our life insurance clients, we have guests come in for a facial and I'll ask them, Hey, do you want to set up your next appointment while you're here? They'll be like, no, no, it's fine. They'll walk outside and get on their phone and I can see them through the window making their next appointment on the app, right? (laughs) They do not want to talk to you, right? And so if you're trying to sell a a product like life insurance to someone who does not want to talk to you, well, you're going to have to go to the spaces where they're listening. And so you're going to have to go online. So, you know, life insurance producers who are willing to kind of take a little bit of a leap with us to trust when we say hey we're going to do these things in these virtual spaces um it's going to work it's going to be different for you it might be slightly uncomfortable you might not understand quite why we're doing it at first um that's great but having said that i do like when a client pushes back a little bit because it helps keep me on my toes and i think when there's a little bit of tension between what we're saying and what they're saying that can really sharpen and define the message to a way that's beneficial
0: Nice, nice. So people are interested in finding out what you guys are doing, doing business with you. Where can they find you online?
1: So our website is lifeinsurancestrategiesgroup.com. Uh, so they can go there. It talks all about our services, what we do on both the consulting and the marketing side. Um, every, everything's on there. They can reach out to us as well. And I would be remiss if I did not after saying all that stuff about the digital world. We're also available on all social channels except for TikTok. I haven't haven't pulled the, the, the trigger there to do a, a TikTok yet, but We have an Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, our life insurance drivers group.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, before we wrap up one question that, well, actually I have two more questions. Go for it. This one may be a little more controversial for, for some people is now in this journey, what did work-life balance look like for you
1: I, uh, so it's it's funny right so like i i had none as a lawyer right like and and there i had none and had no control over it right like i was always at someone else's beck and call either a partner or a client so there was none and so i was like i'm gonna have life work balance you know with yeah to some extent there is like i'm able to control my own hours right Like with, with the, the retail company to spa, like it's closed at eight o'clock, like there, no one's calling up at midnight with a facial emergency. So, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's not that outside aspect. Uh, same thing with the life insurance company, like life insurance folks aren't calling us at midnight being like, hey, I need a LinkedIn post for tomorrow. What are you gonna do? Uh, so <laughs> that aspect of it where it's more in my control is definitely a difference from being a lawyer. But like, we work a lot. Like, I don't think people understand the emotional, the time, the just like mental commitment you have to make when you own your own business. You know, we work pretty much six days a week now. We take Saturdays off, but we're working six days a week on our businesses. Um, and it's it's a lot. And it's tough to take vacations. Um, it's tough to kind of do those things. You have to really be purposeful. There, there's no one. I can't just say, hey, I'm taking a vacation next week. So-and-so is going to handle these things because it's just us. And so, you know, if we are going to get away for a period of time, it has to be a purposeful, thoughtful process where we set that up set the expectations with our clients and kind of create the, the devices necessary to, to be able to handle that. So it's, it's, it, it, it's like your child, it's like having a child, like our businesses are like our children. And you know, if you have a child, you know how all consuming that is. And even when you're not like, when they're not in the room and we're not working, you're still thinking about it, you're still worrying about it. Um, and I think that's something folks don't necessarily get when uh, they think about someone owning their own business. It is all consuming. It really is. <laughs> you know,
0: I, I say that one is, is controversial because a lot of people that, that I've talked to, you know, they, they have, I would say, a lot of people have varying opinions. And typically the ones that have the most, um, I guess you say, more freedom focused opinion are those that are probably looking from the outside, looking in. Yes. But all of the business owners that I talk to, their answers are very similar to yours. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, I mean, but think about it. Like, if, if you work at a normal job or a normal job, right? Like, you get a paycheck every week, every two weeks, whatever it is, right? Like, you know what that paycheck's going to be. It's going to be in your bank account. For us, like, we don't get that. Like, I don't. I know if we want to pay our bills, we got to hustle. We got to work. We got to like create. You know, at the store, create customers. Same thing, create customers in the insurance business, and like do the work and and get paid. Uh, and so, you know. There's no certainty. And I, and I think that's actually a big thing when people are thinking about making that leap is you need to really have a tough, unemotional look at yourself and say, can I handle this? Can I handle the uncertainty? Can I handle the ups and downs? Can I handle, you know, not getting a paycheck? You know what I mean? Can I handle the sacrifices you're going to have to make in terms of time and, and relationships and everything like that so, to do it and to do it well?
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, to wrap up, one question that I do have is, you know, when you think about your journey and and the things that you've gone through and things that you've learned, what's one final piece of advice or wisdom you would share with other business owners? And it it can be a reiteration of something you've already said, or it can be something new.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it, there's kind of two related thoughts kind of come one thought. I think, you know, like what we we're talking about, there's going to be ups and downs, right? You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen outside of your control that affect your business in a negative way. Um, and it sucks. It sucks. It really does. And I think it's important that when those things happen, when you make a mistake, when something bad happens, you actually do take a beat and kind of mourn or wallow. I think there's an element of, you know, a lot of folks should be like, just fight through and like move on. And yeah, you should definitely once you had a second you know see what you can learn about that lesson move forward apply the lessons make sure you don't make that mistake again see how you can kind of learn from from those those terrible times but if you don't i I feel like if you don't mourn it if you don't take that moment to kind of live in in that that hurt it's it's not gonna the lesson won't be as good because you won't feel the pain i think you almost have to feel the pain to learn the lesson so i think that's key and then the other thing is we talked a little bit about this is you have to be intentional I think and almost uh, kind of, after I say like feel the pain, be emotional when you're making the decisions, when you're thinking about who to work with, opportunities to follow, pivots that your business are gonna make, you have to be very thoughtful and intentional about it and almost in a cold, emotionless way. Um, Cause the thing that's gonna ruin you is impulse and emotion. Um, the, the, the biggest mistakes I've made, the things that have cost me the most time, effort and money were when I got caught up in the moment got caught up on a high, got caught up in a, a, a self-ego uh, moment of whatever, and didn't really sit down in kind of an emotionalist, you know, thoughtful, cold hearted, for lack of a better term, way, say, is this the right thing for us in the business? Um, so I think there's an element of that too where you have to, yes. So there's live the emotion when things go bad. And then when you make the decision, take all the emotion out.
0: Nice, nice. I love it. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure having you on. So thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was was awesome. I really uh, loved it. It was a lot of fun.
0: You just checked out the Law and Finance Show, where we bring you great insightful interviews that talk about the business and the financial side of managing a law firm. So subscribe to the show and check out more of the great interviews.